Hey everybody, what's up? This is Joseph Coyne and welcome to the ACA Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the ASA Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Coyne, and this is episode 98. Now, the guest for this episode is Gareth Weber. Gareth is a strength and conditioning coach from Cardiff in the UK. He's a Bachelor of Science in Sport and Exercise Science and a Master of Science in Exercise Physiology from Loughborough University and is an ASCA Level 3 Elite Coach. He's been involved in high-performance professional sport for over 13 years and has worked in three national institutes, two professional team environments across 10 sports in five different countries. His areas of specialty are the concurrent training of multiple physical qualities to maximise athlete preparedness for competition and the return to play process, which is something we get into quite a bit in this episode. He has presented at both the ASCA and ICST conferences and has guest lectured at universities in the UK, Asia and Australia. Now, in this episode with Gareth, we chat on being a generalist in strength conditioning, its advantages and disadvantages, and what areas strength conditioning coaches should be competent before branching out into other specialties like nutrition, for example. We also go through Gareth's softly, softly approach when first starting to work with different sports, engineering robustness in athletes, and heuristics he has picked up across the multitude of sports he has worked with. We also get a glimpse into the day-to-day of athletes in the return-to-play process at Cardiff Blues, who are a pro rugby union team in the UK, and where Gareth was working when we conducted this interview. So, it was an absolutely awesome discussion with Gareth. I'm sure you all appreciate his thoughts on strength conditioning and gleam some of his experiential wisdom he's picked up from working across so many different sports. Now, let's get into this episode and get this podcast rolling. Hey crew, we're back online with the ACA podcast. Uh, really lucky to have Gareth Weber on the line all the way from Wales. Gareth, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? How's it hey, going? Great, great. thank you. Great, thank you. Thanks for being on. Not a problem. No, it's uh, been a while to get going, but uh, yeah, glad to, glad to jump on eventually. For sure, mate, for sure. Yeah, look, time zones aside, it's, it's, it's hard work sometimes scheduling these things up, but I want to uh, start off. Uh, at your start and, and just take us yeah. on the journey, man. Take us on the journey of where you started in S&C, how you got into it, and then the sort of pit stops or um, uh, destinations you've had along the way. And I know you've been all around the world in your S&C journey. And and, uh, and then tell us, t- take us on that journey and then, and please finish up with where you are at now. Yeah, not a problem. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, like you said, kind of got, gone around the globe a little bit. Um, so, Basically, coming out of university as a as, as a sport and exercise science graduate, um, basically straight into a rugby internship back in my hometown in Cardiff with the, the Cardiff Blues, who they were at the time, um, and uh, spent five seasons there, obviously trying to sort of hone the craft and uh, get as many coaching hours under the belt as possible, basically, and, and luckily, it was obviously at a decent level in pro rugby in the UK. Um Worked all the way through from, you know, guys coming out of the academy all the way through to the British British Lions, Welsh international players over, over the five years and uh, obviously involved in every sort of facet of the programme. Uh, moving through from a, from an intern basically up to a, to a number two in the in the in the department uh, in the last couple of years, 
there um kind of carved out a sort of niche for myself with the re return to play crew so the injured player crew so um a nice little nice little transition basically in between the performance side of things and the the medical side as well and bridging that gap so that was kind of the last two years or five years working in, in pro rugby in Cardiff um and then after that in 2014 got an opportunity to move over to Hong Kong and work in the Hong Kong Sports Institute um in a multi-sport role so uh primarily working with men's and women's rugby sevens but loads of different sports and in track and field and uh, racket sports and 10 pin bowling again was a really interesting one really random one as well so that was quite quite a unique one uh, in itself so um yeah spent three and a half years there um and then got a chance to move over to malaysia in kuala lumpur again in a multi-sport role um worked under the podium program which was a government initiative, a two-year, two-and-a-half-year government uh, in initiative to work with the top 10% of athletes, um, preparing them for the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and the 2018 Asian Games in Jakarta. And uh, uh, initially was brought over to work with Tenpin Bowling since um, I'd worked with them in Hong Kong. We'd had a, a lot of success on the on the world level in Hong Kong. Um, and Malaysia were quite quite strong in that sport. Um, but I ended up working with a lot of other sports as well, and 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 uh, get, you know been asked to to train badminton and squash, which are pretty high profile sports in the uh, in the country as well, with kind of multiple world champions and Olympic champions. So that was that was really really cool as well. So I uh, spent two and a half years there, and um, then got offered a job to go to America and work in Major League Baseball uh, for the Kansas City Royals, and um, worked out of the the minor league headquarters in Arizona, sort of doing a dual role uh, with uh, LTAD of the young guys coming up from South America, uh, and then the strength and rehab with the major league guys when they got injured. So when they got injured, they'd come down to, to Arizona. So it was kind of a dual role there, which was really, really interesting. Um, I spent a year there and um, then went over to uh, uh, Aspire Academy in Qatar, and uh, predominantly worked with squash and uh, table tennis. Um, and then uh, after a year there, came back to Cardiff and, and back where it's kind of all started really with, with Cardiff rugby. So um, I'm the return to play lead. So again, the, the rehab group, the injured players group for, uh, for Cardiff rugby. So that's where I'm at at the moment. And I've been, been in this role since uh, September this year. So uh, some some new faces, some old from from ten years ago, um, but but nice to be back where it where it's all begun. Mm, how good, going full circle. Yeah. How good, yeah, full circle. Yeah, yeah. and for the for the listeners, um, yeah. it might be uh, strange to think of this, but like the badminton yeah. players, say for instance in yeah. Asia, um, mm -hmm. will just be like superstars, right? Like I, I remember in, in yeah. China, there's a guy mm -hmm. Lin Dan. He used to rock up in his like Maserati or on yeah. one day and maybe uh, Lamborghini on the other day and you'd, the whole training hall would just go silent when this guy would come in because he was like, he was like the Michael Jordan over there. Um, That's it. Yeah, it was the same in Malaysia. So we had a, a former world number one, Lee Chong Wei, um, and we had multiple uh, Olympic medalists who were sort of top five in the world uh, in doubles and mixed doubles and things like that. So as a as a program in the country, they were, they were you know, they're pretty... Pretty high up, pretty high level, yeah. So that was that was really really cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, cool, man. What an experience, all the way from like, yeah. uh, so these, I guess, uh, racket sports and and Asia yeah. and uh, uh, baseball and in the states, yeah. and then and then back to rugby in the northern hemisphere in the UK. It's cool. Um, yeah. I know, I know that you have some uh, sort of philosophies on on career development and progression, mm-hmm. and, and uh, specifically around uh, being uh, not necessarily tying yourself into one specific area, right? Being yeah. being more of a generalist and mm-hmm. and um, and making sure you you can be adaptable across a number of different different situations, which which I guess yeah. is is really. Uh, applicable to what you've done in your career so far and, and where you've been yeah. and, and how you've been able to adapt and mold to different things. So mate, I wanted yeah. to just get your thoughts on this sort of generalist uh, term yeah. um, for yeah. how, how what it is, how it relates to SNC, um, and, and and how you think it's sort of beneficial for an SNC yeah. coach. Again, I, I, I don't think, I think I'd say right off the bat, this is not a right way or a wrong way to go about your career. This is just kind of how, I, how I've approached it and kind of how it shaped my experiences and my career, really. But I think just kind of working sort of back from my time in rugby, when you have a, certainly when you have low staffing numbers and potentially low funding as well, I think you do need to you know, be a really good all-around practitioner, good subject knowledge in multiple domains, you know, and and to a degree be a good jack-of-all-trades when it comes to athlete preparation and health from a rehab, prehab, sports science side of things. You know, you spend a lot of time, particularly, again, with injured players, it's a good niche, again, because you do have to be that psychologist, you know, that nutritionist. You, you're with those guys so much. Um, you spend a hell of a lot of time with them. So... Uh, I just think being able to coach at a high level around the whole facet of SNC um, as 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 a generous, I just think it makes you a lot more potentially employable globally um, in different roles. Um, and I think um, certainly when it comes to uh, having a more uniform sort of program, it, it's just kind of prevents those working in silos type situation. If you if you kind of have a small staffing staffing numbers and you can show and demonstrate that you uh you can do things multiple things you know multiple facets on on a really good level with athletes i just think that makes you a lot more employable and you just have a better grasp of the how the whole sort of system operates you know if you're just kind of the strength and power of speed guy sometimes if you haven't had that experience of energy system development or rehab prehab or you know load monitoring or data management then sometimes it's 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 hard to see the wood from the trees of the overall holistic picture of the system i guess within a within a sport or within a team um so i think i just try to get my my fingers in as many pies of the snc world as possible and try and just get as good in all of those areas as i possibly could to be honest uh, understand my field a lot more and understand the sport and the kind of the environment that i've that, that i'm in at that time um, so that's just kind of how I see the sort of generalist approach. Mm, I think mm. maybe, yeah, I'm sure the high, you know, in different organisations, there are guys hired for their specialist areas in 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 one facet of S and T, and that that's great. Um, I've just I've just been very lucky that I think getting fairly good at you know uh, you know pretty much everything that encom- in, sort of incorporates S and C and sports sciences. 
uh, just like you said before, just allowed me to become uh, quite adaptable to some quite testing uh, surroundings and testing conditions, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, I really think I, I have a, a keen interest area, say, for instance, in, in nutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think even you having some experience working in that area, it allows you yeah. to relate to, say, the other staff, Say you've worked a bit yeah. in sports science or something like that, but you yeah. might not be that might not be your primary responsibility, but it allows yeah. you to sort of understand what they're going through and, and the challenges they might be facing or what they're trying to achieve and, and how you can better assist them when you're in that team environment as well. Like, would, would you say that'll be accurate? I, I think so. And I think it just um I think it just allows you potentially to you, you know have that better working relationship, that better rapport with the MDTs that you can talk on the same level with the, the MDTs and the coaches and athletes on that particular subject and that you know how that realm fits into, you know, the technical, tactical and the physical side of things as well. So, you know, it's all interlinked in terms of a, you know, a holistic approach to athlete or team development. So um, I, th- I just guess the more the more understanding that you have of those different subject areas probably the more efficient your work could be and potentially the more efficient or streamline the, the, the department or overall organization could potentially be. Um, and probably again, it just, <clears throat> there's less chance of working in silos because of that, which I think is pretty, pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And just for the listeners too, MDT, yeah. uh, multidisciplinary team um, yeah. is, is uh, what, what Gareth's referring to there. Um and I wanted to ask you, so, so say in your mind, say, say a young strength and conditioning coach, the, they're going in there, they, they want to specialize yeah. in something. Um, what would your advice to them be? What, what would you say, hey, these are the pillars of S&C that are cornerstone to every sport in, yeah. the, in the world that I've worked across. This is what you yeah. need to get across before you start um, trying to broaden your wings. Uh, and, yeah. and get into other 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 areas of of the yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of performance support team or MDT. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, again, I think the sport comes first, so the technical tactical is the priority, and whether that's in a, I think you know, a highly physical sport like track and field or rugby union, or you know, all the way through to a highly, I guess, skill based sport like a tempin bowling or a badminton. You know, the, the, the sport. And the sporting skill is is the priority, and and SNC is one of many, you know, tools to enhance sporting performance. I think so. I think kind of my kind of a, approach and philosophy is kind of you know, look at that sport first, and the um, you know the time motion analysis of it, and the the demands of the sport, and then reverse engineer from that back to. Um, how to develop those capacities and those qualities that should underpin that sport. Um, and again, for, for me, it's, it's not to confuse that technical, tactical prowess with athletic prowess. So you mentioned it before with the with the Maserati Lindan in China and the Li Chongwei Ferrari in Malaysia. They, yeah, they were amazing at their sport of badminton, but pretty poor in terms of... Uh, athletic ability in the gym or, 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 you know, even, even based on any kind of fitness test. So it's not to confuse those two things. And that's especially true in baseball as well. Um, so again, it's all about the sporting skill. Uh, and then where, 
you as an SNC or a sports scientist can add value to maybe improve a weakness or enhance a super strength almost to get that athlete to the next level, I think. Um, I think, again, strength underpins all athletic qualities. So, again, even with those examples, particularly in, in badminton and some of those badminton athletes I worked with, um, regressing stuff all the way back to basic movement qualities and uh, getting them to lift properly and a uh, good technique went a long, long way to getting them more robust and uh, athletically better, which allowed them to train more, which, you know, got them a lot free from injury, which is always a massive win when it comes to top class players. So uh, strength and underpilling that basic quality strength with good technique. Um, an example, again, in Malaysia is the strength training for that particular national squad prior to uh, myself and a few other Western coaches coming in was um, German volume training with probably loads that were way too high, way too much for them to, to, to physically tolerate um, and running 10K three times a week. So that was their strength and conditioning. So um, sometimes just some basic scientific theory and scientific <laughs> training principles and, and qualities and quality uh exercise technique stripped right back sometimes does the world of good even in the top level athletes so um again for the pillars it, it's the basics done very very well you know learning how to move and lift properly uh sensible programming of loads uh both from in a gym point of view and, and on a speed and conditioning side of things as well uh, and then again, for me, the, the pillars of it would be to, to train the physiological outcome uh, and the modalities are uh, to a degree a little bit irrelevant. But I think if you have the output, uh, if you have the outlook of, of training a physiological outcome, then that's always a good place to start based on the, you know, the, you know, the, the outcome that you want, you know, so um and again, kind of for me, the higher, higher up you go in sport for me, like ability is you know, is the availability is the best ability. It's a bit cliche, but it, it truly is the, the case, you know, if like in my job currently, if like six weeks ago, we had five or six of our key key players, our British British Lions and Welsh internationals out injured, you know, they're all back in playing and training now. And that gives us so much more chance of winning, funnily enough. So again, if we have all our stars available, our chance of being successful <laughs> goes up uh, exponentially. So again, for me, it comes back and it's kind of where I'm going now in terms of SNC as a, as a tool for athlete robustness and keeping athletes healthy, really, um, more so than the kind of trying to get one RM, you know, PBR, one RMs, which we never do, funnily enough. But uh, yeah, rather than chasing any kind of PBs in terms of performance metrics, for me, it's using SNC as building strong, robust athletes that can tolerate the, you know, the volumes of the training demands of high training volumes without breaking down injured and consistently, you know, turn up week in, week out and perform, you know. Um, so I think that's pretty universal in most sports that I've worked with, you know, they're in these jobs, in these positions for a reason. And it's usually not because of how athletically gifted they are granted that's you know a better athlete with the same skill set is it's potentially going to be be better overall but um effectively they're there because of their sporting skill ability so 
we need to make them available as much as possible. So I think that tends to be quite universal with everything that all the sports I've worked with, all the athletes I've worked with in these jobs, you know. <clears throat> mm, for sure, yep. Definitely the sporting skill pays the bills, 100%. The, uh, I want to take you, you touched on someone how, you, how you'd yeah. uh, like reverse engineer yeah. the sort of um, determinants. Um, and because you've worked across so many different sports, yeah. uh, I was wondering if you, if you could even share a little bit of an example of, of something you might have done, say, in Malaysia or in baseball and yeah. something you might have done, uh, say, in rugby at the moment. And even how you yeah. might reverse engineer um, this concept of, of robustness or, or how yeah. you're using yeah. SEC predominantly as a, as a tool for uh, keeping keeping players on the field, on the court, yeah. uh, and how that might look. If you just had some examples there, I think it would be awesome. Yeah, um, well, I'll give a really obscure one, uh, and this is quite cool, actually. Um, so I was working with uh, Tenpin Bowling in, in Hong Kong, and um, we had a, uh, uh, a multiple world champion American head coach, uh, a guy called Bill Hoffman, great, he's a really, really good guy. And um, they didn't have any, uh, and it's a quite high-level sport in, in Asia. You know, it's, they've got guys there in Asia that can, you know, be on the cusp of winning world championships, and um, and Hong Kong was one of those countries, and they didn't have any any kind of sports science or SNC provision back in 2014. And um, excuse me, <clears throat> and uh, but they're a, a nationally funded uh, squad, and and I remember just with our with our when we first sat down and had a had a chat, and and and, that, and that's one of the tools with in in terms of. Uh, you know, demands of the game for me. Again, if you can sort of look back through all the data and research papers, being a sport like bowling, there's not really anything out there. And uh, obviously the, the closest I've, I've come to 10-pin bowling is probably the first date when I was 10 or something like that. But uh, um, yeah, so sitting down with with Bill and literally just picking his brains and talking to him on a, on, on a personal level, going out for a couple of coffees and just getting to know him and build that rapport. Um, with him socially just got him to open up and in terms of he, he he would then tell me about you know what guys need to do on the lanes and what they're struggling with um and you know what he needed out of the players to compete with the best in the world and a lot of them were with things that could be you know improved on and helped with 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 snc so one of them was um our, our bowlers need to our bowlers need to create more rev rate. And to do that, they need to create more speed. They need to bowl faster. But they keep breaking down injured, and we're really, really slow, and we fatigue really quickly. So I can only train them two hours a day, and then they're knackered. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so kind of working back from that and realizing, you know, the physical demand. And also he said uh, what they really need to do, what we'd really like them to do, is effectively, you know, like a shot putter or a javelin player just runs up and launches it as hard as possible. I kind of, kind of need them to be able to do that. And he was like, well, I can help you with that. You know, we train shot putters and, and javelin throwers just the same. So it's how you create force, how you uh, distribute that force and, uh, <laughs> and, and how strength training is kind of supposed to work. It's not buys and tries kind of like they were doing before and like 10K runs, like, like, like I said before. So... Again, it was, it was it was almost like building those guys up, almost to be like strength and power athletes of 
you know, a javelin thrower or a, or a shot putter in terms of how they deliver an external object and, you know, making that external object re relatively less fatiguing by getting them stronger and uh, just a, a basic um, basic strength program. And after a couple of years, they had a couple of world champions. And again, it just allowed them to stay on the lanes for three hours extra if they needed to, so they could get more technically out of them without breaking down injured. They were stronger, so they made the bowling ball feel about 20% easier and lighter. So again, it's just using basic S&C <clears throat> to make things relatively easier for them so that they can get through the technical, tactical a lot easier and just prevent them from injury. And that was, that was a really, really simple way of just setting up a program with a skill-based sport that um, just helped them go from sort of top five level nation in the world to you know one of the top top three and multiple world champions then so that was that was pretty cool <clears throat> and it was a similar kind of philosophy in malaysia with the badminton guys um albeit um probably a bit more pressure and a bit more um resistance due, due to the nature of the sport it being the national sport um like i said i think they had three or four olympic silver and gold medalists by the time I'd already got there, you know, Lee Chong Wei was multiple world, multiple time world number one. Uh, big egos like on a lot of money. Those those athletes, and so that took a lot more convincing and and building those relationships and those rapports with with multiple coaches and a head coach um, when I went in as well. But it was a similar concept of stripping things back uh, to A, protect the athlete, athletes and to B, to get some robustness in them so that they could, you know, spend more time on the technical tactical, which is, you know, where their bread and butter is, you know, so. Mm, mm, for sure, for sure. It's definitely something too, getting athletes uh, uh, fit enough and strong enough to handle more and more technical training so they can actually get better at their sport. Um Definitely something to that. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to sort of touch on you. You mentioned going to going to uh, uh, badminton and how it's yes. like um, maybe a high, more high pressure environment, more resistance, the change. Um, uh, they've been doing things. They've been successful. Why should they? Why yeah. should they have this this person come in and sort of tell tell them what to do? Are there things that are sort of um, or methods or um, strategies you might use when you are going into those situations where things might be yeah. a bit difficult, where you might be working with a like a, a unique culture. Like imagine going into yeah. baseball would have been there, there would have been uh, like a similar type culture you've had to understand. Yeah. Like what what are the <clears throat> methods you rely on or the strategies you use to, yeah. to get in there and and uh, determine what what needs to happen and actually what you can effectively yeah. change and and how you're going to roll that out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it, it you know, it's 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 quite difficult, and I think it's um, you know, I, I think I think you have to, you know, it it, it takes a bit of, <laughs> you know, it, it it does take a bit of courage to put yourself out there, particularly in a <clears throat> in a foreign country where English is not the the main language, and uh, and sort of, you know, try and change a culture of, of a sport like that, particularly ones that have been so successful as well. Um, but I think. Honestly, like whatever it takes in terms of how to get your message and your your philosophy and, and your program across, um, 
with whatever stakeholders are involved in the process. And I think this is a bit of a cliche term, but I think you have to be a bit of a conversational chameleon in terms of like some coaches and athletes and stakeholders like data, they like to know numbers. Um, some like to, you know, social interactions and getting to know them on a personal basis uh, to build that trust and rapport. Uh, and, you know, and I think compromise as well, like if you go into an organization or a department and you're like a bull in a china shop with your approach or your philosophies and there's no compromise on your end, I think you lose people pretty quickly. So um, I think often it's a kind of a softly, softly approach and seeing where potentially I could add value sort of immediately, quite non-invasively, if that, if that makes sense. Um, uh, and then once you've built that trust and that rapport with, you know, the people involved, the stakeholders, athletes, coaches, then you can sort of let your ideas flourish and your, your processes flourish again and expand, I think. So I think I think it takes a bit of a softly approach to sort of scan and get to know the environment and the culture that you're in, uh, but certainly try and add value where you can immediately with some short-term wins, you know, and I think... Um, I think both athletes and coaches like respond pretty well to competence and confidence uh how you present yourself and your your your, your approach um i think athletes in particular if you can have those short-term wins and that may be as simple as the example an example that i gave you before with that taking some exercises that's potentially harmful or or, or not helping them substituting it with something else just so that they feel better more mobile more robust healthier like even in those early days like you find those early wins i reckon you know and and, and then you can build their trust and rapport from there and start adding things as you go along but i think i think the approach is to get on side with the stakeholders involved with you know whatever means necessary um and then have faith and trust in your program you know that it that, that it's going to be beneficial to the athlete and uh, ideally back that up with with science and with data uh, to support it wherever you can you know however basic your data collection might be um you know i think <clears throat> in terms of uh you know in terms of those organizations like baseball it was a little bit different um in terms of um my line manager is Dr. John Waggle, who's a probably one of the best practitioners I've, I've ever worked with and one of the best leaders and uh, I've ever worked with. Um, hired people from all over the world in the Royals department. And, you know, he had myself, a Welsh guy coming from Malaysia. He had a guy from uh, football, you know, soccer in, in, in MLS. Uh, he had a Canadian guy from professional hockey, each with different skill sets that could could benefit the department and the organization. And I think um, that organization, the athletes, it's a bit different in America. I think, I think you're, if you're hired at that level in, you know, in that particular sport, I think guys are literally just yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah. Do whatever it takes to, to, you know, to get the job done and to be the best that it can be. So you kind of respect it a little bit more straight off the bat in, in, in American sports, I, I think, but yeah, certainly in, sort of Hong Kong and Malaysia, maybe because it's the, you know, the Western guy coming into a, you know, an Asian uh, culture. Um, you know, it was really was do, do whatever it takes, you know, 
to get the athletes and the coaches on side to build that rapport and uh, that, those relationships, mm-hmm. add value as early as possible with some early wins to get athletes feeling better and performing better in the short term and then just start to drip feed more and more of your philosophy and your program into it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go into an Asian country, like, who is this uh, Who is this yeah. white guy who uh, yeah, exactly. doesn't even know what a shuttlecock is and, and how to hit, yeah. a, uh, hit one? Um, yeah. What's going on here? And, and, yeah, and I didn't, and that's the thing. But, yeah, I think, you know, I, I could give multiple examples from other sports and, you know, that carried a little bit of favour with some coaches. So I think it's always easier if you've got some credit in the bank from that particular sport in another organization to go to and and go to the coach and say, well, I've done this with this athlete in this country in your sport. So uh, it's a lot easier when you have that. But as a a new guy going in, having never experienced the sport. But then again, in the in the Royals in baseball, it was excellent because as a department, we had clear defined heuristic non-negotiables where it was a great roadmap. So however lost we felt we got, and I certainly did, having never worked in the sport, I think I think I'd only watched Moneyball twice up until that point. I think that was my experience of baseball. So, um, yeah, so I think, like, you know, I always had a really good roadmap to sort of revert back to with our sort of our pillars of S&C, which we had established within our department, which was always easy to revert back to. So <clears throat> an example was, a do no harm uh, b uh, squats or deadlifts lower body strength twice a week sprint twice a week if you do that consistently under these kind of volumes the guys are going to be okay <laughs> um so we had a few different heuristics and however kind of uh however kind of maybe distracted i got with what was going on in the job i uh, had some some pillars to always revert back to which made it a lot easier to to kind of refine my way i guess <clears throat> mm-hmm. so i've got two questions i've got two questions those heuristics yeah. i love them i love them the non-negotiables yeah. of, of uh, yeah. uh the great management technique um yeah with it, did you have any others and have you taken any uh back to card off with you? yeah so again, <clears throat> excuse me um again i i think the primary that you know the, the the main one is uh it, you know person first athlete first you know i think do no harm is 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 the key one you know i think again in certain jobs in certain organizations you can get so bogged down with the numbers and where the guys are getting stronger and faster and stuff and you know you forget of all potentially all the other stresses on their bodies so i think working in baseball and uh having those heuristics you know it, it was um, you know, it, it was good, like in this job, you know, in terms of do no harm is another one. And, you know, I think not needing, we never go to failure, which was another one in baseball. So we never, the guys never go to failure. Uh, so they never rep max test. So um, again, we we were lucky that we had a lot of VBT equipment in the Royals that we could do a lot of uh, programming based on velocities and things like that and uh, get our data based on. On, on velocities and, and gym aware data so um but again that would that be another one is there's absolutely no need to go to failure in any situation there and, and you know the risk rewards again the higher up you go is is you know is a no-brainer um again i think another one with the royals was 
have scientific you know underpinning behind everything you do so if you can explain it the rationale the science then we're good to go um again if you sprint and you and you and you lift heavy consistently throughout the whole season uh, we're pretty happy and i think that's another one in in pro rugby as well you know so it, you always need to keep that max strength and speed stimulus throughout the the whole year so it's consistent lifting and consistent sprinting i think Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about actually going back to rugby now. Yeah. Um, sure. And you've, you've developed this sort of softly, softly <clears throat> approach that you've picked up in yeah. sort of Asia and, and going to the United States. What, what have you had to, uh, and it's really interesting because you've worked in that environment, gone away and yeah. you've come back. Um, yeah. What have you had to, uh, or how have you had to get those little wins or, or, um, Go softly, softly when you when you've come back to the uh, to the Cardiff Blues. How like how's that shaken out? What, what what have been the sort of things you've had to adapt to in the new environment? Yeah, I mean um, the, the environment hasn't changed massively. If I'm being particularly honest, so it's been it's been quite an easy transition back into it. Um, but the the I think I think and and this wasn't an, too you know too much of an issue because. In Hong Kong, the sevens rugby players that I that I trained were were pretty much all personal trainers and were really switched on in terms of the science behind things and and everything. But I, I think this generation they in this in this particular job in Cardiff with this generation, they you know they they're not afraid to ask questions and challenge you, which is which is awesome. But again, it's uh, kind of goes back to that heuristics that I sort of mentioned in terms of. Um, if you've got scientific under underpinning behind everything that you prescribe and you can explain it, then, um, then, you know, that goes a long way. You know, I think, you know, you can't really afford to get away with doing just junk training. That's there for the sake of doing it. You know, guys, you lose guys pretty quickly. And if you can't explain it, why you're doing it, then, uh, you know, you know, you're not going to get great output. So, but I think this generation for sure is a, a lot more inquisitive, wants to know, why we're doing it and the science behind it and um quite similar to like i said the guys i worked with in hong kong that were all really switched on and uh, personal trainers themselves and and um interested in the science and the data behind what we're doing so i think there's a i think there's a lot more um you know knowledge of that and how training science you know relates to the game of rugby and and their physical preparation whereas probably 10 12 years ago some of the some of the players that we had, and it was a lot of a, a lot older cohorts uh, back twelve years ago. Uh, to be honest, they didn't care. They were probably still professional standards wise were a little bit a little bit questionable. So it's just like, just tell me what I need to do. Tell me how far I need to run. And I'll just get it done. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, probably a different generation. I think for sure. And that's for uh, sure. that's been pretty. That's been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Way. Yeah, cool. I, I, yeah, and I, I could actually, it's, it's a much more um, engaging environment. People are actually actively yeah. interested in yeah. how and why you're doing things, right? Um, yeah. I want to I want to dive into now you, your actual day to day in Cardiff and and you're yeah. leading the return to play process. So, what what does a yeah. what does a typical week look like for you? Like, uh, um, yeah. how, how do you set things up? How does it shake out? Yeah. Uh, where do you put things? <clears throat> Yeah. Um, well, it's um, logistically, it's um, you know, it's quite quite a challenge because I'm working around the let's call it the healthy squad, which is 
could be anywhere between 30 or 40 guys and I might have between five or 10 injured players. So we're working around that healthy schedule. So that's typically before before the healthy team come in and train. So for example, this week, the injured players will be in at 7 a.m. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, with s and session. Um, and then the healthy team forwards and backs are split up. They'll be in, be in the gym between sort of nine and 10, eight till 10, sorry. Um, and then all guys will have sort of breakfast at 10 o'clock. And then there's technical training pretty much after. So the, the mid morning or the mid afternoon is kind of where we would get our rehab and our conditioning. So effectively the injured players would do uh, probably a strength, a rehab and a conditioning um, five, five, five days a week, five, six days a week, give or take. Um, so effectively training probably over and above the, the demands and the times of the, the healthy squad. But that's typically what it looks like. Um, and I'm trying to coordinate with three physios around individual rehab times. Um, physios generally tend to do one-on-one -on -one rehabs um, throughout the mid-morning. So, <clears throat> so I basically grab players as and when for individual second sessions of the day, uh, sort of around lunchtime as well, and get a second session in there. So it will be probably a group strength session uh, first thing. They'll all have individual programs based on the, the injuries that they have and what they need. But then it will be generally a little bit more individual one-on-ones in the second half of the day then, really. Mm, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And do you have, so, so just uh, any examples of what you're doing right now? What what would uh, um, one of those strength sessions look like, even even though it's all individualized? Um, yeah. Even yeah. A, a, across a, a certain injury, um, what what would it look like for that player, and, and how do you shake it? Yeah, out? yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, we've got a couple of guys with some shoulder and elbow issues, and uh, effectively they. <clears throat> They, they would we would try and keep I try and keep the um the process as similar to what they've done when they're healthy with with another SNC. So for example, both these these players will squat. So they'll be safety squat squatting for strength. Uh, they're both sort of medium term, short term time frames before going back in. So they're on quite a decent strength and power stimulus. So they'll be lifting pretty heavy. Uh again, plyometric complexes. <clears throat> And just working around the injury, to be honest. So again, like for these guys, uh, you know, they'll still be able to sort of lunge and basically everything with a with a safety squat bar, really. Um, and we'll try and supplement some unilateral upper body stuff in with them as well. So just to keep some upper body strength and muscle mass and kind of neural drive um, whilst they're rehabbing their shoulders and elbows, really. So um, they still have some upper limb training but it's a uh, it's a little bit more restricted and modified but but effectively they'll 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 lower load and do an off feet on the same day um and then the second day they'll do a little bit more core and upper and then run the second day so um they're getting both uh, strength and pretty decent overloaded strength and fitness kind of stimulus uh, throughout the week so uh, in terms of the, uh, I think we've got one ACL and one ankle. Um, those guys are need a little bit of muscularity, and they're still quite far away. So you know, they're in quite high volume strength phases. So um, 
you know, they got four uppers, so it's you know, it's pretty pretty heavy duty per week, and a lot of off feed conditioning as well. So, yeah, it's um again, like I said, it's it's all whatever method is needed to get the adaptation during whatever phase that you're in. So, with those guys, they're doing a lot of hypertrophy and a lot of aerobic conditioning off feet because they're quite far away. Whereas the shoulder guys are a lot more strength and power based in the gym, sprinting and jumping, and a little bit, a little, a little bit more replicating what the healthy team are doing in their sessions. So, um, trying to keep the program as close to the healthy program as, as we can as they sort of re-enter the the return to performance side of things. So, um, yeah, try and keep everything as fairly aligned with the philosophies and the program, the strength and program as as um as needed in the department as, as desired for the department based on how the the coach wants to play the game um with running based fitness being quite quite high up in terms of priorities so uh, our head coach likes to play a open expansive running type rugby so guys need to be pretty running fit so that's as soon as guys can run they will run and get it to pretty pretty decent volume so uh yeah that's that's where we're at Mm, interesting interesting I one thing I always love to hear in these return to play situations you, you mentioned that people moving from uh, uh, say your group to a return to performance type uh, type squad yeah. is like sort of people have different sort of markers or or different uh, guidelines um, when they might say okay now you're ready to go back to the game or now you're ready to go back and train with the full squad or now you're yeah. um, ready, to, ready to go back into action on the field of play um, yeah. do, do you have any of those you, you hang your hat on? Uh, to, to be honest, in terms of um, uh, strength, the strength side of things, um, we'd be we'd be pretty happy of getting them back to uh, where they were at from a strength point of view, or hopefully surpassing where they were uh, prior to getting injured. Um, and from a, a lot of it is done based on uh, GPS, so. Um, how our running speeds, number of excels, total running volume looks um, leading up to the potential return for selection. So um, guys, will, guys will probably have to tick a few boxes in terms of um, Ks done in a, in a week, uh, number of high speed runs, number sorry, number of high speed running meters per session and per week. Um, and then certainly a contact, a return to play contact thing. So how much contact they've done uh, and can tolerate uh, if it's a, an upper limb injury, you know, there's a, some return to contact kind of tick boxes that they need to do from a medical side of things to safely reintegrate them. Uh, and typically they'll have probably a week of non-contact, non, uh, excuse me, non-contact training before available for selection. So we'd hope to, for them to tick some uh, conditioning running base uh, boxes and some contact boxes before a complete week of uh, non-contact training and then uh, available for selection then. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. And do you, in, in your role, do you manage any of the contact uh, interactions for for the rugby boys or, or is that somebody, like a technical coach, how does it, how does it work in, in your club? Yeah, so um, I... To be honest, we, we had lower staff numbers when I was in the role 10, 12 years ago. So, yes, I was doing more of it, actually. But we we have some pretty, pretty, pretty strong physios uh, in our in our organization, which 
know, they're pretty, they're happy to lead. And I think it's probably because potentially I've only been really back in since September, but they, they've got a decent return to contact protocol within the medical department that's work, that works really, really well. Um, there's not a lot, you know, there, there's, it's not mutually exclusive strength and conditioning and, and, you know, and physio, like, like, you know, so in terms of if it's, you know, number of down ups versus number of bag hits versus, uh, you, you know, number of tackles off each shoulder, you know, they've got a, you know, they've got a process in place and, and delivery of it, you know, is, is, is divvied up between, between a few people within the medical and the SNC team, but um, we've got a pretty decent uh, medically written return to contact protocol, um, which is which has been really really good. Um, but yeah, I think it, again, it's a lot of hands on. So in terms of, um, I'll be helping out in rehab prehab sessions as much as they would help out in with a couple of the conditioning sessions. You know, so it's uh, you know it's that kind of. Um, you know, aligned way of working and that, you know, um, collaborative way of working that's actually in practice. It's not like, you know, this is physio, now we're done with it, now it's US and C crack on. And so, it, you know, we, we do try and blend it in and, and have a bit of a seamless uh, reintegration into rugby uh, as much as we can, so. Yeah, cool. Oh, it makes total sense, it makes total sense. The, uh, you, you mentioned players uh, surpassing or equaling or surpassing previous numbers, and that might be on, I guess, uh, some different uh, different lifts or different assessments. Are there, are there any assessments you really hang your hat, hat on for rugby? Um, so we again, again, like in in this particular role, we don't have a we don't have a lot of technology. Unfortunately, we're, we're not a particularly wealthy wealthy organisation, so it, it's quite quite basic in terms of um, volume load lifted in the gym. Um, we're, we're looking at, you know, heavy sets of three to five on compound lifts and, and ballpark figures of where guys are. Um, that's similar on unilateral if they, if they're in the injured group as well. Um, so it's quite crude, quite rough. Um, we, we have a jump mat. So again, like for our readiness and our kind of uh, lower body strength, uh, strength, power, uh, sort of analytics. It, it, it's it's really based on, on on that really, and our on our on our jump heights and our, and our speed gates sort of ten meter, twenty meter times, and then our running GPS metrics really. So um, that that's basically all we have at our disposal. So um, it's, it's it's kind of a combination of all those things really, um, both where they need where where they need to be compared to where they were before, but also how they look in relation to the squad and their position as well. So um this particular group there's quite a lot of data on them for these simple kind of metrics. So I don't think it's been changed much because a lot of these players have been here for a, quite a while and it's quite a bit of data on them. So I think um I think they I think this you know they've been using these metrics for a while. So yeah it tends to be quite crude. Um volume load in the gym numbers in terms of compound lifts and unilateral lifts um yeah counter movement jump height uh uh 10 meter 40 meter speed time and uh, gps running metrics really mm -hmm. now look <clears throat> again I, I know you mentioned that those are crude uh crude measures and i know there's a lot of uh uh 
practitioners out there that might use uh, like different measures, more, more what might be seen yeah. as more advanced. But I think you do a wonderful job with those simple measures and uh, yeah. and making sure you tick, tick the boxes, the right boxes. Um, yeah, w w with those simple measures, and, and yeah, definitely, it's it's not a uh, you're not at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I. I uh... You know, I, I bought I bought a secondhand gym wear off a, a fellow ASEA uh, coach a few years ago, and you know that's just for my own use. And and I I use that for the injured crew in terms of, um, you, you know, as an, an extra level of data and an extra level of you know, protection where, you know, I, I I don't need to go super super heavy. Like I can already show just and it, it works just because I because my injured crew you know at the moment is, is fairly small and and uh, you know. I can afford to do that with with one gym aware that you know I, that's an, that's an extra level of data and uh, um, that I can that I can provide to coaches to show you know where the guys are at physically from strength strength and power point of view which is which is quite nice it'd be nice to have more of them but um, yeah for for my particular role with low numbers it it it, it works having my own gym aware which is nice so. yeah perfect 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 <clears throat> perfect uh, Gareth man. Wonderful chats and wonderful experiences. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, some real words of wisdom there. I, I want to finish up just with some quick questions. Uh, you can, yeah, worries, yeah. you, they don't need to be quick. If you want to elaborate on them, you, you uh, no, fine. jump on the soapbox and, uh, and fire, fire away. <laughs> um, the, the first one's, uh, what, what's been your big aha moment? What, what's been the moment where you've gone, boom, light bulb, this is it, guys. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it was one particular moment, but again, like I think, sort of traveling around and, and going to multiple conferences and ASCA courses and, and speaking to good level of practitioners. You know, this is we've we've touched upon it before, but again, it really the higher up you go, really is you know availability is the best ability, and 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 the top athletes are there because of their sporting skill, and and it's it seems so obvious, but I think. You know, you, you can get so bogged down in the F and C world that you do have to take a step back and, and remember that and um, add value wherever you can. And and a lot of the time, particularly if you're working in you know high level sports, you know it, it's it's adding value with some sometimes the most simplistic things or the most basic things. So because they're there because of their skill and their technical ability. Mm, mm, for sure, totally agree on that. Totally agree. Hey, what are you uh, most excited about developing in your own practice um, or learning or, or, or uh, researching in the next sort of year to year and a half? Yeah, I, th I think um, I think being back in this this job in Cardiff has has really made me you know appreciate the the RTP process really and how that is you know it, it is very individual specific to the athlete and also very sort of environment specific you know and um they do a great job in america with with their athletic trainers there's so much data collection and they have such a good overall holistic view on on their athletes and where they're at and i think we could you know certainly in rugby and in welsh rugby do a better, better job of that of knowing exactly where our athletes are at from a, a health and a performance point of view but I think there really is scope to, you know, to get together with quality physios and essences to bridge that RTP 
uh, gap, you know, to help athletes get back onto the field quicker and in better shape. You know, I think it's still uh, <clears throat> quite subjective and uh, the process is based on the environment and the practitioners you're working with. But I think there's definitely scope to streamline that and make that a really good, efficient process, you know. Mm, mm. I was actually, I, I should have asked you before, but it's just been mm. hanging at the back of my mind. What, what, what would be the number one thing you'd take from your experience in baseball um, at a at yeah. a major league club, and then and then put back into yeah. uh, into rugby? Yeah, uh, and again, I, I kind of touched upon it again. Like the, um, I, you know, I think it's very very different culture, and like, you know, in baseball, they they're dealing with multi-million dollar players, you know, so the, the, the medicals, the medical screenings and the, and the data collection and the resources at those facilities to know everything about the player before signing them is absolutely massive. And, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to be able to influence that in, in Welsh rugby, but I think again, in terms of how we prepare athletes and, you know, no, you know, knowing their histories and knowing <clears throat> what they can do and what they can't do. I mean, that that's that's done really, really well in base baseball based on uh, a lot of data collection. Um, and yeah, I just think we could do that a lot better, to be honest. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting, mate. Like I said, Gareth, absolutely awesome chat. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank the you. Peop- Thanks so much for having me on. It's been awesome. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hey, if people are interested in you and, and what you're doing uh, in, over there in Cardiff, um, yeah. how do they uh, get more information? Your Twitter, Instagram, yeah. website, research game, yeah. something like that? Um, uh, you can email me on uh, gareth.weber84 at gmail.com. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, uh, garethweber4. So, uh, yeah, uh, Instagram and I'm on Facebook as well. So, yeah, Instagram, Facebook and email. Happy to talk to any anyone about anything. So awesome, awesome. Mate, like I said, appreciate your time so much. It was a great chat, yeah. and uh, I'm sure everybody will appreciate the uh, words of wisdom from you. Brilliant. Thanks, Joseph. That's another one of our episodes wrapped up. We're getting close to 100 folks, and until our next one, I'm Joseph Coyne, and this is the ACA podcast.